This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning everyone. Can you hear me? As you can see, we have a lot to go through today, so we really need to ask God to help us to keep our attention going and to understand what He's saying and to give us the secrets of the Kingdom of Heaven. Dear Fathers, we come before you today. We pray that you may help us to not be distracted, to be really focused on your word today, which requires uh, us to really apply the parables in our lives. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Life is full of uh, regrets. Do you agree that life is full of regrets? Anybody doesn't have any regrets in life? I think we all have regrets, right? And uh, at the men's ministry last week, we were watching this DVD about midlife. And the psychologist who was actually talking during the DVD was saying that actually life is full of regrets. You know, you think, if only I had gone out with this person, or only if I had taken this job, if only I had studied harder at school, if only I had taken this particular course. And they were saying that one of the problems of midlife is that you start feeling that it's too late for you to overcome these regrets. It's too late for you to have a do-over. You know, life has passed you over. Now today we are looking at these parables, and the parables, in many ways, as we've been reading it, challenge us. They provoke us, they poke us, and I think there is a reason for the parables to provoke a response in us. And I think it is to avoid regret in this life. Right, to avoid regret in this life, I think if we understand the parables properly, as God wants us to understand it, it is actually to avoid the biggest regret in life. So whatever regret you may have in your life about uh, you know, your relationships, your career, your studies, your life, if you really understand the parables, it is nothing compared to the regret that you will have if you fail to exercise what the parables are teaching you about. It will seem like peanuts. So let's begin. Uh, I was was thinking of reading it through, but I realized as uh, the Bible is being read that the sermon will take very long. Um, So I hope that you've been concentrating as uh, the Bible reading was uh, going through. Because it begins with a series of parables, and I don't really think that uh, you want me to read them all over again, because you've heard them already. And generally, the parables are quite straightforward, right? So the first parable is the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. But actually, it really isn't really about the parable of the sower. It's the parable about the soils, right? Because, you know, we don't really know much about the sower. We don't even know who the sower is. In the end, it's really about the parable of the soils. Now, if you go to China or Cambodia or Thailand or Bali on holiday, you'll notice that all these rice paddy fields, right? And you always see that uh, when they plant the rice, they, 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 they plant it in a certain way. You know, they plant one here, then they plant one here, then they plant another one there. But in the ancient world, in the Middle East, they didn't plant their seeds that way. Not, they didn't plant their, their paddy fields, right? They, they planted in a different way. What they did was, the farmer would come and he would have a seed bag and he would throw his seeds around, right? So, um, when I preached on this passage before, I actually threw some rice but someone told me that actually throwing rice is not a very auspicious thing, so I don't throw any rice anymore, right? But, but that's generally what happened, right? You have a seed bag, the farmer goes and he throws his seed onto the field. Now, obviously, 
as the farmer is walking up and down his field, the path that he treads day after day after day would become hard. So the, the seed that ends up on the path, which he is trodden on over and over, day after day, would not actually penetrate into the surface of the soil. And so, the birds would come and eat the seed. Some other seed would fall on rocky places. Now, rocky places are not like, you know, rock itself, but what happens is in the field, there would be some parts of the field where there is, under the surface of the soil, quite close to the surface of the soil, uh, rock. And what would happen was, during the rainy season, the water would accumulate on the shallow surface of the soil, and the seed would grow really fast, right, because it would have ready access to water. Because, you know, the, the, the rock is there. There's a bedrock of, of rock there. But what was good during the rainy season would become terrible when the rainy season would then pass into summer. And this seed, which grew so quickly, would not be able to then get water because there would be no water deep in the soil because there would only be rock. And the roots would be very shallow because it would be impeded by the rock. And therefore, in the heat of the summer, the plant will then die. Some of the seed would also fall on a third soil, which would be the soil which was infested by thorns and weeds. And this seed that fell on uh, this uh, thorns and weeds would be stunted and weakened. Uh, I'm sure for some of you who grow your own plants, you always notice that, you know, when the weeds are growing, the precious, expensive plant that you bought for like $35, $40 is dying, right? Because these weeds are overwhelming it. They, they, they take the nutrients from the soil and they block the sun from the leaves. So this seed here, the plant is choked to death. And lastly, the last seed is the good soil because the seed falls into the soil and the plant grows and it produces a crop, 160 and 30 times what was sown. Now as we read this parable, and as I suppose, remember the context, right? The context is Jesus sitting on the boat, and the crowd is there sitting on the shore. They're probably asking themselves this question, why is Jesus telling us this story? I mean, obviously if I'm a farmer, I know that these different seeds, and these different soils, display this dynamic in real life, right? What is the point of this parable? Now, I think that uh, reading uh, the commentaries, the simplest understanding of a parable is, a parable is a story with two levels of meaning. There is the literal meaning, which is obviously the farming meaning, and there's a deeper spiritual meaning. And what Jesus requires of the crowd, as he requires of us, is to think and reflect and meditate on the story and ask ourselves, what does it mean at a deeper spiritual level. What is he talking about? And that's why in verse 9, Jesus says to the crowd, whoever has ears, let them hear. Right? It's a challenge to the crowd as to us to listen, reflect, meditate at a deeper level. What does it really mean? Now, I think this is a bit of a challenge to us. right? I was sitting in the MRT, and many times when I sit in the MRT, I always see people using their phones and they're always going through their Facebook and Instagram. Right? And I'm constantly astounded at how fast they can flick through all the different Facebook posts and Instagram accounts. I don't even know whether they're looking at pictures 
whether they're reading the notes or maybe they're reading every third word, right? I don't know what's happening. But when you are looking at the parables, you can't read the parables by your Instagram or your Facebook posts. Uh, you know, for myself, I've come back to the parables over and over again, and every time I come back to it, I feel there is deep, profound things that are being said, which maybe I didn't realize for myself. So why? Why does Jesus use parables? So verse 10 to 16, and I think I'll read this part because it's very important, so you need to follow, because this is very shocking. In verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, I remember going to uh, <clears throat> a children's church uh, activity once before, and I remember the children's church was telling, teacher was telling the children that, the, that Jesus spoke in parables so that the people could understand him better. Now, this is not what Jesus was using the parables for. He wasn't using parables so that people would understand him better. In his own words here, Jesus speaks in parables as a dividing tool, as a separating tool. He's dividing the insiders and the outsiders with his parables. It's like, you know, you stand over here, the insiders, you stand over here, the outsiders. Because at a surface level, the parable is very clear. But Jesus says that at a deeper level, it is a secret that God gives. A secret that God gives. So therefore, the parable is not about sowing or fruit or crops or farming. It is about the kingdom of heaven. But only those that God gives the secrets of the kingdom of heaven to will understand the parable and take it to heart. So you've got one group of people in the crowd, as there will be people sitting in church even, who, you know, they you know, they can't catch the ball. They, they listen to the parable and, you know, they're not listening, they don't understand what's happening and they move on. And there's another group who will ponder and reflect. But at the end of the day, it's because it's a secret that God gives. And that's why it repeats the idea, right? It's a secret that is given to people. But before we all say, ah, oh, yeah, it's ah, very unfair, you know, this predestination thing, you know, God has given it to some people and God has withheld it from other people. But at the same time, if you look at this passage, God also says that there is human responsibility in listening 
to the parable. So in verse 15 it says, For the people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Now I want you to notice something very interesting, right? It's not an IQ issue. It is not a, a smarter or dumber issue. Right? It's not an issue of whether you're very good at, you know, escaping from escape rooms, right? It is a problem with the heart. It is a problem with applying what the parable is saying. Now, I think this is a very important point because over... I mean, obviously, we're now at chapter 13, right? So, you know, we've, 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 uh, we've already done 1 to 12 earlier in the year. But if you remember 1 to 12, uh, the next slide... Jesus has already revealed his identity. Remember John the Baptist yeah, and Jesus' baptism? We already know about the values of the kingdom of heaven. We know about the authority of Jesus. We know about the compassion in Jesus. But in chapter 12, we begin a cycle of rejection and conflict of Jesus. So Jesus now tells the parables within the context of that framework. Right? Why is it some people accept Jesus like the disciples and why is it some people reject and misunderstand Jesus like his hometown people or the Pharisees? It is because at one level God is given and one level God has taken away but another level is because people's hearts are callous. So like one commentator said the next slide which I think is very true as we will see Later on, if you keep following me in Matthew. Sometimes people understand the parable. But understanding the parable is not enough. It is, are you willing to apply the parable in your life? Are you willing to accept what Jesus is using the parable to do in your life? So in that sense, Jesus is asking you, what soil are you? As you sit here today, are you the soil that is the hard path? The word of God comes to you, but you are unwilling, unwilling for whatever reason to take it in. Uh, maybe you find what God is saying to be irrelevant, to be boring, to be unimportant. Maybe you're sitting here in the sermon today and you're feeling very tired. You know, perhaps it's because you're not getting enough sleep and you should sleep more. Or maybe it's because you are the hard path. I'm not saying one or the other, right? Whether you're just generally not getting enough sleep or maybe because your heart is hardened against the word of God as it comes to you in the parable. Or maybe you are the soil that is the rocky ground. Now, the rocky ground, remember I told you, and actually I didn't really understand it a lot myself. Like I said, in the beginning, sprouts very promisingly, right? Because it has access to the shallow water. It, it is growing very vigorously. But when trouble and the heat of the sun comes, there are no deep roots, and therefore the spiritual life of that person is choked and destroyed, right? I remember when I was at university, there were a few people I can remember even in my mind today, even though it was many years ago, who in the beginning, 
were very fervent and very vibrant Christians. Maybe you yourself, if you were a Christian at university, remember your own experiences. But then, you know, when they start work or some trouble comes, they immediately give up Christianity. So I remember there was this um, girl and she became a Christian. She was very focused, you know, she came to everything, she was very excited. Then she went back for holiday in Malaysia. And when she came back, she didn't want to come to church anymore. And I remember when we were talking to her, her words to us were, please don't talk to me about Jesus anymore. It's causing too much trouble in my life. And I think that's a perfect example of what the rocky soil is like, right? Because actually, if you... Oh, oh okay. If you look at your Bibles... I think I have one there, right? The quickly, or maybe I didn't put it in. Okay, if you look with me, in verse 21 and 22, right? Sorry, what, verse 20 and 21, you'll see that the, that the word which keeps being repeated is the word quickly and at once, right? Actually, it's the same word in the original language, right? So basically, the emphasis that it's trying to be making here is just as quickly as the person becomes a Christian, just as quickly the person falls away because they have no root. So, are we that soil? Can you recognize elements of that in your life? The third soil is the seed that falls among the thorns, where the worries of this life, where, you know, in this life, we have many preoccupations uh, in this life, and it draws you away from the Word, draws you away from God. Or maybe you are chasing after the seduction of wealth. So that after a while, again, you are unfruitful in your life, in your Christian life. Now, I want you to think back about the parable. Right? Let's think a bit more. Let's not leave it so quickly. If I'm the farmer, what am I looking for from the seed? Okay, I plant the seed, what am I looking for? I'm looking for crops, I'm looking for fruit, right? I mean, I'm not planting the plant there so it looks nice, right? I'm looking for fruit. So this seed is actually unfruitful and it's actually a failure to me. So the farmer, in the same way, looks at the seed on the rocky ground as a failed exercise. In the same way, when God looks at the seed which has been planted in the rocky, sorry, not in the, in the soil which is full of weeds and thorns, God says this sort of faith is less than saving faith. It is actually a failed faith. So are we that soil? Are you the soil that is very distracted by many things? You know, you are chasing after all these things in the world. Your focus is all here and there. You are seduced and deceived by wealth and you're chasing after these things? Then actually in God's eyes, this seed has been planted on soil which is choked by the weeds. Now, the last seed is the only seed which is productive. The last soil is the only soil that God is looking for. Now, we might think that, wow, you know, 100 times, 30 times, 60 times, that's a lot. But actually, it's, it's normal. You know, you plant one seed, you get, a, you get a crop. 
of 30, 60, 100 is not super normal. That's what is normally expected if you are the good soil. Now, what is the crop or the fruit here? Obviously, we don't know. It's not really expanded in the parable, but obviously the minimum must be that there must be a change in your life. You must be doing the things that God requires of you. So if you look in the book of Matthew, maybe it's like things like in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, maybe, you know, it's like conversion. Maybe it's evangelizing people. Maybe it's praying. So I was reading The Love of God for my quiet time, this uh, devotional book. And uh, Don Carson made a point on one of the Bible readings. He said, look, there is no conversion unless there is visible life change. If you have no life change, then there is no fruit in your life. You are not the good soil. And if you're not the good soil, then you have to ask yourself, then which soil are you? In verse 24, Jesus then goes on to another parable. And it's the parable of the weeds. Or actually, if you are using the outline, you're sort of trying to figure out what all the different uh, uh, crossword things are, right? It's, it's actually in the sermon. You just have to pay attention, okay? Okay, so... In the parable of the weeds, okay, it's a different picture. So each parable takes similar elements but uses them in different ways. Okay? So here, Jesus tells a story and it's not a make-believe story because apparently these things actually happen in the ancient world. There is a Roman law which explicitly outlawed the sowing of weeds into your neighbor's field. Okay, so... People actually did that in the ancient world, right? They, you know, to get to 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 make your neighbor bankrupt, they, they they sow weeds in your field, okay? But the weeds, uh, the next slide, okay, is they would sow these weeds, which actually look as young plants, like wheat, okay? So uh, apparently, there are these things called darnel, right? Bearded darnel, so. When you sow them in the beginning when they're growing, they all look the same. So, you know, at the beginning, I look at my crops and they think, oh, well, they're all doing really well. But then the problem is, as they grow bigger, you can actually see that, hey, my weed has been infested by weeds. But by this stage, because the plants have been growing and, you know, they're all mixed up now, it is very hard for me to then pull up the weeds without pulling up the wheat. Uh, I have these little pot plants at home, and whenever they're weeds, right, unfortunately, when I do pull out the weeds, when they're quite big, the good plants, which cost lots of money, come out with it, right, because all the roots become intertwined. So what the farmer then says is, okay, we will let them grow together until they are fully grown, then we will harvest them together, we will cut them all down, and then we will sort them out, and we will burn up the weeds, and keep the wheat. Now, at a deeper level, at a spiritual level, what is Jesus talking about? Well, in verse 37 to 42, he makes it very clear. Right? So I think we need to look at 37 to 42, or oh, sorry, 43, he says, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let them hear. So as we look at this passage, the expectation is that the kingdom of heaven actually will be fully realized only after the judgment. As we live in this world today, the people of the kingdom and the people who belong to the evil one coexist and grow in this world. Okay? The, the, now, actually, I don't have time because sermon is only a certain amount of time. right? But the feel is not the church. Okay? The, it says right here, clearly here, the feel is the world. We live in this world where there will be evil and there will be the good, the wheat and the weeds. So this really is a parable of patience and perseverance, right? Because we live in this world where bad things happen and there will be bad people. And it's trying to teach us to persevere because part of the disappointments of this life is that as Christians, when we live in this world, we will be impacted by evil and suffering, we will be impacted by disappointment. We have a bad boss. We have bad situations. We have bad partners. We have bad uh, colleagues. We have bad you know, uh, workmates. We have, there's evil everywhere. And we might ask ourselves, you know, why is the world this way? Why is it, as a Christian, I'm still impacted by all these evil and wicked people around me? Why do these things happen? It's not because God has lost control. It's because God allows the wheat and the weeds to coexist together. Now I think another point comes through in this parable is that when God looks at the world, God doesn't see people based on their language or their skin color or their social class. But God sees only two types of people. He looks at you, he looks at me, he sees either wheat or weed. That's the way he looks at us. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no wheat, weed, and another type of plant, right? Those are the only two plants. And at the end of the day, there will be a separation between the wheat and the weeds. And that's a warning for us. Who are you? Are you wheat or are you the weed? I think in verse 47 to 50, uh, which is the parable, the net, right? The next slide. We we won't read that because it's quite a straightforward parable. The emphasis of the parable, the net, if you read it, is that there are all kinds of fish. See, there are all kinds of fish, right? All kinds of fish captured in the net. And on the last day, they will all be separated. And everybody... Insider and outsider will be separated and judged clearly on the last day. Now I think that as we look at the two parables, right, 
the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the parable of the net, there are a lot of similarities. And the one similarity that really comes through is the emphasis on what it is like after judgment for those who are outsiders to the kingdom of heaven. So in the first parable, after the wheat and the weed are cut down, the weeds are burned up. That's what happens in real life. I mean, uh, in, in, you know, in those days, maybe they're not like ecologically so conscious. You know, they don't have haze problem, so they burn the the weeds. But the parable is actually a picture in the next slide um, of what judgment and hell is like. The burning up of the weeds, Jesus says, is actually a metaphorical picture of judgment, where there is suffering. Because suffering in fire, the fiery furnace, right? It's not something which is just a picture of the weeds being burnt up. It is a picture of what suffering in judgment and hell is really like. Now I know that this is a very offensive picture, right? Because people mock this and say, oh, you know, where God, you know, when you die, it's so unfair that if you are not in the kingdom of heaven, there is suffering, like a fiery furnace. This is like, you know, ah, that's a medieval picture. But it's not a medieval picture. It's what Jesus says. And Jesus goes on to say in both parables that judgment and hell are pictures of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you may not get, uh, on one hand, uh, the picture of what it's actually like, right? Which is the fiery furnace. You don't know exactly why it's a fiery furnace. But on the other hand, you get the emotional response to hypothetically what it would be like if you end up in hell. What would it be like? How would you feel in hell? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I think the weeping and gnashing of teeth is in response to the suffering, right? I mean, when you're suffering, you weep and gnash your teeth. But also, I think it's a picture of regret, right? When you know when you gnash your teeth, it's a picture of Oh, if only I'd done this, right? You know, it's, it's a picture of regret. So remember John Chapman, this great evangelist that, uh, who since passed away. He was preaching an evangelistic sermon and someone came to him and complained to him and said, you know, why do you preach about hell? Why do you have to scare people like this? And uh, John Chapman said, well, look, I'm not trying to scare people. It's not as if, you know, I invented hell to scare people. It is Jesus who is scaring you, right? Jesus who's telling you what is really going to happen. It is only whether you're insider, outsider, whether you're willing to accept the existence of hell, whether you have ears to hear and eyes to see, whether you accept that there is a hell, and whether you will accept it and change accordingly. So someone was um, sharing with me how in Australia, there was this atheist um, speaker in a panel, right? And he was saying that they shouldn't have any children's church or scripture lessons because he said that scripture lessons and child, children's church is child abuse. Okay? And he said it's child abuse because you're teaching children about non existent beings and scaring them about hell. But according to what Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, Hell is real, right? Hell is some place to be avoided. And the parables, both of them, are meant to get you to reflect and to ponder and to think. 
If hell is like this, then I better make sure I'm the wheat and not the weeds. So we come now to the last four small, tiny parables, right? They're only like one-sentence parables. So verse 31 to 33, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, the, if you look at this picture, next slide, this is a mustard seed. Okay, it's tiny, it's really, really tiny, right, as you can see. It's not as if the person's got really big fingers or something. But yet, the, the mustard tree is big, right? It grows into a big tree. Now, I think the point that Jesus is trying to make is that the kingdom of heaven can seem very small and insignificant and irrelevant. I mean, when you compare the kingdom of heaven today with the kingdom of, say, the great countries of the world, it might look like nothing. I mean, it's like nothing. You look at the people of the kingdom of heaven, it's not very impressive as well. Right? I'm not saying you're not very impressive. Right? But you know, it's not as if we're the richest people in Singapore, or the most powerful people in Singapore. I mean, we're not, right? But what Jesus is saying is that though the kingdom of heaven looks small, insignificant, irrelevant today, but yet one day, one day it will be like this huge tree. It's like this inevitable growth. And again, I think the parable has a deeper meaning, right? Because it talks about how when it grows, it becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches, right? So it's almost a picture of where at the last day when this great kingdom grows, you can find shade and sanctuary and protection in this great tree. So this parable is telling you, even though the kingdom of heaven looks small and insignificant today, don't give up on it. Don't lose hope in it. Persevere in it. Because this kingdom will grow and keep inexorably growing and give you shade on that day. Now, the other parable is similar, but different, right? They're very similar, but there is... A slight difference to it. And I think the difference is meaningful. Now for those of you who have never made bread before, which includes me, I just see my wife make bread. You know, to make uh, dough rice, you know, when you eat uh, your bread, it's like nice and fluffy and full, right? Uh, you have to put yeast in it. Okay, you put yeast in it, just a little bit into the flour, then you put water in it, and then you knead it, and then it, it grows, okay? It's very simple. Especially when you watch people do it. Now, how is that a picture of the kingdom of heaven? It's a different picture from the tree because it's, it's, it's almost as if the yeast is permeating, invisibly spreading into the dough. 
It's just a little bit of yeast and it's, it's growing and growing invisibly. Because you know, when you look at the dough, you're like, I can't tell if the yeast is inside. Who can see it? No one can see yeast. It's gone, right? It's, it's there, but it's, it's invisible. In the same way, the kingdom of heaven is like spreading in this world, but it's in like invisible. It's invisibly growing and growing, spreading, but you can't see it. So last few weeks we've been um, having the missionary Jimmy talk to us about Thailand. I was very encouraged by it. And in the same way, you know, you listen to Jimmy and you think, wow, not very impressive, the church in Thailand. I'm sure you all got the impression when you listen to Jimmy. Wow, you know, it's just like, after all this work, there's hardly any you know, Christians in Thailand at all. But when you listen to the parable of Jesus, he's saying, look, don't lose heart, right? Because the kingdom of heaven is spreading slowly and visibly. And it will only become clear at the last day. Now, I think this is a very important concept for us to understand. Uh, I was watching this uh, movie called The Kingdom of Heaven. It's actually quite a good movie. But it talks about how the crusaders went to Jerusalem to create uh, the kingdom, right? God's kingdom in Jerusalem. Or recreate God's kingdom in Jerusalem. But actually, it's a it's a terrible place, right? Because the kingdom of heaven is not created like a dynasty or, a, or, or you know, like a, a big kingdom in a worldly, visible sense. The kingdom of heaven is like growing invisibly. It is inevitably growing, but it is not created by us in this world where we see it. So we just keep trusting God. We keep holding on to the word that has been given to us. The last parable is verse 44 to 46. The king of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the king of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, I used to read uh, this story to my kids. So you might sort of think, ah, this is such a simple parable, right? It is so straightforward. But actually, it's very deep and profound. Now, here was a man. He comes across a field. He finds a treasure in it. And he buys the field so that he legitimately can inherit that treasure. Now, when you actually think of it, it's actually quite deep. Because... You notice he gives up everything he has joyfully in order to get this treasure. Now, if you think back, right? Think back to the parable of the soils. Think back to the seed on the shallow soil. He was very joyful. The person very joyfully accepts uh, the word grows, but then they fall away when trouble and persecution comes. But here was a person who is the opposite. This person realizes the value of the kingdom of heaven and joyfully gives up everything for it. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that is blows the mind. Right? Because usually when I have to give up anything for God... I don't do it cheerfully. I do it, you know, in a very grudging sense, right? Ah, oh, got to give this up for God. 
It is because this person realizes the value of the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, he is willing to joyfully give up all he has for the kingdom of heaven. Now, I wonder whether we are like that. If we struggle with giving up things for the kingdom of heaven, is it because we fail to value the kingdom of heaven appropriately? Is it because we do not estimate the kingdom of heaven rightly? Because the second parable is slightly different again, but again it's helpful. The first person seems to be a man who just accidentally finds a treasure. He's just walking around long, he stumbles on the treasure, and voila, he is, you know, he's rich beyond measure. But here was a merchant. He was a merchant looking for fine pearls. So that means that he is like a professional. And he's a professional pearl searcher. That means that when he finds a pearl of great value, he knows what he is doing. He's not some sort of amateur. This is his living. This is what he does. And what this parable is really saying is this person rightly understands the value of the kingdom of heaven. It is like a pearl of great value where you give up everything else you have so that you can get this pearl. You can't afford to lose it for anything you have because it is worth so much more than anything you currently possess. Now I wonder as we read this parable whether we understand the kingdom of heaven that way. Do we feel in our heart that the kingdom of heaven is so valuable that we are willing to give up everything for it? Now we come to the last, last part in verse 51 to 52. And Jesus says a very strange thing. In a sense, it's a bit parabolic as well, right? It's a bit like a parable, right? Verse 51, have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Now, Jesus here has been explaining the secrets to the kingdom of heaven. Now that the disciples understand the secrets which have been given to them, they have new treasure. They have new treasure to give out into the world. So Jesus then instructs them and says, Look, therefore, now that you've understood all these things I've told you, now that you understand all the parables, you go out and bring out these new treasures out of your storeroom. Now, I think in one way, this must be one of the fruit that Jesus is looking for in the disciples. So, one of the things that we must do as an insider to the kingdom who understand the kingdom of heaven is to share the good news of the kingdom of heaven with people. To bring out these new treasures to the world. Because that's part of the fruit that you display in living as a Christian. So in conclusion, as we've been looking through all these parables, right, we've learned lots of things. 
And I remember reading uh, this uh, book on preaching I read just last week. And this guy asked this really interesting question. He says, you know, when you buy a plane ticket, why do you buy the plane ticket? Do you buy the plane ticket because you enjoy flying? Uh, do you enjoy the plane? Do you buy the plane ticket because you know you enjoy that particular model of plane that you're sitting in? No, right? I mean, we kind of like tolerate traveling by plane, right? You know, you have people with bad BO sitting next to you. You know, you're a crying baby. Sometimes the food's not very good. There's lots of turbulence. Uh, you know, you're very squashed. The seat's getting smaller and smaller, right? Uh, you know, you get jet lag. Nobody buys the plane ticket because they enjoy flying. I mean, unless maybe you fly first class, right? You buy the plane ticket because of the destination, right? I buy the plane ticket because I want to get somewhere. That, that's why I want to buy the plane ticket is the destination. That's why I buy the plane ticket. I think in the same way, our final destination is the kingdom of heaven. Right? That is the destination, right? We are just on the journey now to the destination. And I think the parables, in a sense, teach us how we are to behave on our journey to the destination. Right? You know, it's going to be hard, there will be trouble, there will be persecution. But we keep going, right? It, it may be times where we're discouraged, where there's evil, there's wickedness. There will be discouraged where the kingdom of heaven seems very small and insignificant. But we endure the journey to the destination. Right? Because it's like a pearl of great value. In the same way as we are going on our journey to the destination in the kingdom of heaven, we, we, don't, we don't get off at the stopover, right? You know, imagine you're flying to America and you have a stopover in um, Japan or Korea or you're flying to Europe, you have a stopover in Dubai. You don't get off at the stopover and think, okay, ah, that's it. I'm not going on anymore, right? I'm going to stop in Dubai and that's it. In the same way, we don't get seduced by the deceitfulness of wealth or the, or the things of this life. And, and miss out on the final destination. So I hope here, as we've been going through the parables about the kingdom of heaven, it helps you to understand a bit more about the kingdom of heaven and the journey that we take to go there. And how we need to keep pressing on and to take to heart what Jesus is saying in these parables. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you may... Help us to take to heart what your parables are saying about the kingdom of heaven. Dear Father, we pray that you will really uh, help us to, to apply these parables in a powerful way in our lives so that we will be the good seed, the good soil, we will be the wheat, we will be the ones who will give up everything for the kingdom of heaven where we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of you and Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.